Good evening. Our gospel passage tonight is on uh, temptation. I'm going to talk about temptation, how to resist temptation, specifically a temptation we all face, a lifelong struggle, and that is the temptation to turn stones into bread. If you're like me, you stare at rocks and say, man, I know all those Bible verses that say don't turn stone into bread, but I don't know. No, that is not what this sermon is about. I mean, it is, but mostly no. Uh, I will say, like, I've heard this passage a lot of times, and I've resonated with it, but, like, then I started actually chewing on it, because I knew I was going to preach on it. I'm like, it is a little hard to relate to. Uh, even if we say, you know, oh, maybe this story isn't about me and my temptations. It, you know, it can be a little hard um, to believe that this is really a story about Jesus actually being tempted, and that, like, there's a real devil in this story that like actually tempted Jesus with things like worshiping the devil because like I put myself into the story and, if, and I just imagined myself being encountering Satan who I know is Satan and he says I'll give you the kingdoms of the world but you have to bow to me I'll be like well you're you're Satan so that's probably not going to end well for me it just doesn't seem like it's a real it doesn't seem like it's a real temptation but that's because I'm coming at it wrong, right? This is not a story about us putting ourselves into Jesus' story and trying to come out with, like, how do we deal with temptation? This is really a story about Jesus putting himself into our story. Uh, so, you know, true. I've, I have grown up in church. I've appreciated this story. I've learned from this story. Uh, the things I was taught about the story are totally true. I really appreciate how Jesus uses scripture to answer temptation. I've taken assurance from the story's theological truth, as Hebrews puts it, that we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. But I do want to lean into tonight the sense uh, in which these were real temptations for Jesus. He is not play acting, even as he is reenacting our story as humans and the story of Israel and the story of each of us. So this is really a story about who Jesus is, who we are, who we are because of who Jesus is, and what he did when he came face to face with Satan. So, in short, oh, that we may know this Lord, let us press on to know him in this story. Our reading tonight begins with uh, Luke 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Uh, a reminder that Luke did not write chapter breaks. didn't split his story up into verses. Uh, and if you jump into the middle of a story, you miss stuff. So we're going to back up a little bit uh, to chapter 3. Actually, we're going to back up to Genesis 1 in just a second. But for now, we will back up. To chapter 3. When all of the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came down from heaven, quote, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now Jesus was himself was uh, 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathet, the son of Levi. The son, there are 76 names here, some of whom we don't know anything about the names uh, listed in that genealogy, but others we know very well. There's David, there's Abraham, there's Isaac, there's Jacob, 
all the way down to the end of the line, if you want to read uh, in Luke 3, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. You would think uh, if you were Luke, you'd go straight from the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus at the Jordan to Jesus full of the Spirit, Holy Spirit leaving the Jordan. Instead, you get this genealogy of 76 names that reminds us that not only is Jesus the Son of God, as the voice from heaven said, but he's the son of Adam, the son of God. Not only is he the son of Adam, the son of God, but he is also the son of Jacob, who is also known as Israel. Jacob's story is also in Genesis, where he is referred to as the son of Isaac. And in Genesis, Jacob encounters God, and God renames him Israel, right? But in Exodus, this is after Jacob is renamed Israel, uh, in Exodus, God has a new name for Israel, too. And it comes at the end of Moses' encounter with God in the burning bush, when God summarizes everything he's about to do. This is from Exodus 4, 21. The Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform, uh, perform before Pharaoh all the wonders that I've given you uh, the power to do. But I will harden his heart. You know this story, right? Uh, I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I kill your firstborn son. Luke uh, drops his genealogy into the middle of this uh, Jordan to wilderness story to indicate this isn't just the story of a holy man going on a spiritual retreat. Uh, this is the story of Adam. This is the story of Israel. This is our story, and this is why the first temptation is to turn stones into bread, this very strange temptation. Uh, back to our reading. Uh, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Luke assures us that Jesus ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. So again, this is a real temptation for Jesus. Um, it is also, as I said, uh, the remaking of our story in Eden. Adam was placed in a beautiful and plentiful garden. He could eat the fruit of all of the trees, except for one. He was not hungry at all. He, had it, he, was, he was full, truly, truly full with everything he needed. But still, he ate the one thing that God had said not to eat. Do not eat or you will die. This is where the serpent comes in with the temptation. You will not certainly die. The serpent said, God is keeping something from you. God knows that when you eat this fruit, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. There's something you don't know. You do not know good and evil. The serpent made Adam and Eve start to wonder, what is it to know good and evil? Is God really good? Can I know that without knowing good and evil? Is God really trying to keep me from death? Serpent says no. Do I really trust God? Serpent says no. And they started to wonder, maybe something else is going on. And so they ate. 
Jesus had not been eating fruit from the garden. He, he had been without food for 40 days. He really was hungry. And unlike us, he really could turn those stones to bread. After all, he turned water into wine. That, that was a good thing. That was not a violation. That was not a uh, succumbing to temptation. That was uh, something he was uh, supposed to do. He fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. Also a good thing. There was no law against turning stones into bread. God hadn't given a command like he did to Adam and Eve. This was a real temptation for Jesus. Uh, it's also the remaking, not only of Adam's story, but of Israel's story. Exodus chapter 16. Uh, this takes place a month and a half after the Israelites fled, fled Egypt. The unleavened bread seems to have run out. Verse 2, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. It was kind of like Eden. But you could have brought us, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. People are to go out each day and gather enough for that day, and I will test them to see whether they will follow my instructions. And that is how God provided bread in the wilderness, as manna. But still, the test failed. They did not follow God's instructions. Israel rebelled against God, and because of that, Israel does not immediately enter the promised land. Instead, wanders in the desert for 40 years, eating the manna that God provided every day. The end of that 40 years, Moses calls everyone together in the wilderness just east of the Jordan River, near where Jesus has gone to be tempted, and Moses goes over God's commands. Uh, Deuteronomy 8. I'm, gonna, I'm quoting, a lot of, uh, quoting a lot of Bible here, and I'll tell you why later, but we're just going to keep reading, reading Bible verses. Deuteronomy 8. Be careful. This is, uh, right before, this is before the uh, Old Testament reading we read tonight. Same context. Moses... Uh, talking to the people right before they go into the promised land. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised you on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you, you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then fed you with manna which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The people of Israel had been saved by God. They had been rescued. They had just crossed the Red Sea. But still something told them, God's keeping something from you. I started to wonder, is God really good? Is God really trying to keep me from death? Should I really trust him? They all said no. And they said no. They said, oh, he must have brought us into the desert to starve. They said, we were better off as slaves. Jesus, too, was led into the wilderness to be humbled and tested in order to know what was in his heart, whether or not he would keep God's commands. So the devil uses the same question. The devil loves to repeat himself. Did God bring you into the wilderness to starve to death? It seems like he's keeping something from you. He's not going to provide because he's given you the ability to provide for yourself. 
you're the son of God, just turn these stones to bread. Otherwise, you are going to die out here. Jesus answered with the words, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Jesus says, in other words, I know that God is good. God is my provider. He has given me everything I need. I trust him. As son of God, Adam stumbled. Son of God, Israel grumbled. But as son of God, Jesus obeyed by trusting that his father was good. So I'm going to check in here. That's a lot of Bible quoting. Uh, but all Jesus does in this story is quote the Bible. Uh, so I'm just trying to follow where he leads. Uh, I do not know the Bible as well as Jesus, or as well as Satan for that matter. So I need to remind myself of these texts uh, in their full context, uh, and not just the bits that Jesus quotes. Uh, I hope you're, you're still uh, tracking along. Um, but that is why turning stones to bread uh, didn't seem like a big deal to me. I don't know the Bible as well as Jesus or Satan. But it is a big deal to Jesus or Satan. Because the question of whether or not this son of God is going to act like the sons of God before him. Which is also the question in the second temptation, verse 5. The devil led Jesus up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor it has been given to me. And I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Where is it written? Well, once again, Jesus is quoting from Moses' speech in Deuteronomy, as the children of Israel are preparing to enter the promised land. Once you enter the promised land, Moses says, your problem is not going to be that you're hungry. The problem is going to be that you're full. Uh, this is Deuteronomy 6, 10, verse 10. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful. You do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And this is where Jesus quotes, Fear the Lord your God, serve him only. Take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you. You don't have to be a Satan worshiper to worship the devil. Temptation here isn't, you know, death metal and goat heads. It's just, you know, forget the Lord who brought you out of slavery. Act like everyone else. Believe what the people around you believe. The question is, was Jesus really tempted by this? Right? Like I said before, it's like, if the devil's tempting you with this, is that, you know, are you really going to be tempted? And I, the question is, like, what do you know about Jesus? What do you know about Jesus? Like, he loves us. He does not want to see us suffer. He is compassionate. He hates oppression. You know that he's loving. And imagine the devil putting all the kingdoms of this world in front of Jesus and saying... You can stop these guys. No more wars, no more invasions, no more assault, no more abuse. Jesus is representing the story of humanity. He's representing the story of Israel here in the wilderness, but he is not play-acting. The temptation was a real temptation. Uh, the temptation is God's kingdom come. 
His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Only, just no heaven. That's the deal. You can end slavery around the world so long as you ignore humanity's enslavement to sin. First temptation is to distrust God's provision. Need, including food when we are hungry. The second temptation is to distrust God's decision and to let things be the way they are. First temptation is to distrust God's goodness. The second temptation is to distrust God's greatness, his authority. Don't like the whole thing where Satan became prince of this world because of Adam's sin? Satan says, fine, you can have all this world. Jesus. This is Adam's story. You trust God's decision? Because if you eat this fruit, you won't have to take his word for things. This is basically what Satan says. God knows that if you eat this fruit, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. The thing, of course, is that Adam and Eve already were like God. They were made in his image. They were, in fact, the son and daughter of God. They were encouraged to be in charge of this world, quote, rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground, God said. But the servant said, yeah, 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 yeah. But God's still keeping something from you. You can do better. Israel, uh, Israel in fact, when they possessed the Lord that God gave them, a land filled with large fortune cities they did not build, etc., etc., when they ate and were satisfied, they did forget the Lord. who brought them out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. They followed other gods, the gods of the peoples around them. And they said, we, this is what they said after that. They said, uh, actually, we don't want God to rule us directly. We want a king, such as all the other nations have. Prophet Samuel said, uh, if you have a king, such as all the other nations have, you will have oppression, such as all the other nations have. First Samuel 8:19, but the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we'll, we, we will be like all the other nations, the king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. But Jesus, when he was faced with this, but Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And because of his obedience, we are no longer simply subjects, but we are sons and daughters takes us to the third temptation. The devil led Jesus to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, quote, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift, up, they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, do not put your Lord, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus has been Answering the devil's temptations with scripture, the devil uses scripture to tempt Jesus. He uses Psalm 91, which we read tonight. It begins, uh, whosoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will save the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Jesus, says the devil. Okay, I get it. I know the stories you're quoting. And I see that your point is that you trust God. You trust God to be good. You trust God to provide, you trust God to be right, you trust God to be great, you trust Him to be your refuge, good job, you win. You are the one this psalm is talking about. No harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent, it is time to receive your victory. The devil's not tempting Jesus here with suicide, he's tempting him with vindication. 
You are the son of God and you can prove it, probably. Or don't you trust God to rescue you? Again, this is, this is not a game. This is a real temptation. Uh, when Matthew tells us uh, uh, this story, he says that after Jesus resisted temptation in the wilderness, angels really did come and minister to Jesus. Like, what, what the devil said was probably true. And this really is a psalm about Jesus. <laughs> it really is about God vindicating Jesus. It's about Jesus defeating the devil. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Uh, and that's what happens. Jesus calls on his father at the cross, and the answer comes in the resurrection when Jesus is delivered and honored. He now lives and reigns forever, and that is the way that God shows his salvation. The temptation is that the psalm says it's about trusting God. You know, the devil says it. The psalm doesn't say anything about the need for a cross. You want to try without the cross? seems like God still has to send those angels. seems like God still has to vindicate you. seems like everything still has to come true. God still has to keep those promises, you know. It's Adam's temptation. He will not surely die. It is Israel's temptation. Because when Jesus quotes scripture and says, it is said, do not put the Lord God to the test, guess what he's quoting? It is that same speech from Moses in Deuteronomy. The full quote is, do not put the Lord your God to the test as he did at Massa. Israel's complained about food. God delivered manna. Shortly after that, they complained about not having water. And God provided water. This is where God commands Moses to strike the rock and water comes out. Uh, Exodus 17, 17, he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? The desire here, is the Lord among us or not, is that we cry to God and say, prove yourself. What I want, when I want to prove you are on my side, vindicate me. But Jesus answered, knowing that the Lord is among us. So Jesus knew that he was the answer to is the Lord among us or not. He was the Lord among us. And he would be vindicated at the cross. Those, those, are, the, uh, those are the three uh, temptations of Jesus. And I've used a lot of what, you know, what we call type, typology to talk about the, the way in which it's our story through Adam, it's the way it's Jesus, it's an it's a Israel story. Um, but, but that's not just like, you know, fun cross-referencing of scripture. Um, what happens here is that because, of, because Jesus is reenacting those stories, he is carrying us to the cross. He is carrying us through the wilderness. He is making us, he's giving us a way to get to the promised land. He is giving us a way to defeat the devil. What I learned in my Sunday school classes was true. Resisting the temptation uh, is to follow Jesus in one of the ways is uh, through the deep knowledge of scripture that we see Jesus using.
But Jesus does that because he knows that those stories are the ways in which we learn to trust Jesus, that we, that we learn uh, to know the Lord. The question tonight is simply, as we follow Jesus, as we finally say, you know, we see Adam fallen by the side, and we see Israel fallen by the side, and we see Jesus finally able to do what we could not, and to continue that through the cross and be vindicated at the resurrection. Will we let ourselves be carried by Jesus? Do we trust him?